0: morning. Where are you? Great to be here this morning. It's great to see you or not see you as the case might be. I'm glad to be here. I hope you're glad to be here. If you're not glad yet, I hope you will be by the time you leave. I'm Craig Schultz. I'm the campus pastor here at the moment. Probably most of you are aware hey. of that. Um, hey. Welcome hey. to the people. You <laughs> try that, try that Welcome to the people who are online, streaming uh, A bit of a different experience, visual experience for you today It's different visual experience for people here as well So you're in good company But uh, if you haven't kind of worked it out yet The title of today's sermon is The Inconvenient Cross Perhaps you're just starting to get some of the picture of what that's about last time I was up here I actually mentioned this sermon today and I said you know this has been sitting with me for about five years I've been sitting here thinking I'd love to do this Um, but in actual fact when I thought about it it's actually more than five it's probably ten years ago that this was born because this actually came out of something that happened I'll I'll come to in a minute but um, this sermon is actually an extension of that sermon that I did a few weeks ago and um, I just want to see how much you remember of that but in particular, there was actually a Bible verse that we learnt, okay? So hopefully we're going we're to test your memory this morning. And so on this side over here, I want you to do part one, which was the reference that we learnt, okay? And over here, I want you to scratch your brains, your, your memory banks and say, what was the Bible verse that we learnt, okay? So t- memory test this morning. So part one from this side. C316, C316, very good. And from this side? That's pretty good. Okay, so now all we need is the same thing, but with a lot more conviction. Okay, that's a little memory jog. Okay, but a little bit more conviction now, but I was very impressed because you've got it right. Okay, so more conviction. Here we go. and? Let the word of God dwell in richly. Okay, so just to see if you've got the other bit this time. And what did the C stand for? Anybody? Colossians, Colossians, that's right. Very good. You will get a big tick. Well done. So the message today is an extension of that that message I gave a few weeks ago, which we're talking about our DNA and being Christ-centred at that time. Today's really an extension of that, but it's also an extension of Dave's sermon last week on Holy Spirit Empowered. And as you'll hear a bit later, it's actually also a great lead-in to what we're going to be preaching about in the coming weeks, when we're going back to the series we were doing on 1 Corinthians, and I'll talk a little bit more about that later. So about 10 years ago, about 10 years ago, my nephew got baptised, and he got baptised in another town, in another church, in another denomination, so not here, but um, we went to his baptism and the broader family went to the baptism so my cousin my nephew my cousins my brothers and sisters were there a good number of my siblings and their and my nieces and nephews and as we walked into this church which all of us had gone to a few times over the journey over the years walked into this church one of my other nephews actually said oh i remember this place this is the place where we worship the band and the cross is just over there on the side out of the way And I thought, wow, that's interesting. That's a different perspective. I felt like God really spoke to me at that moment and beyond that moment to say, where in my life is the cross just over there on the side? Where is it the sideshow? Where is the cross the sideshow of my life rather than front and centre? I'm no believer in relics. But this piece of wood in front of me, these pieces of wood in front of me can tell some stories, if it could speak. Lives have been changed in front of this cross that we see here. Lives have been transformed. There's been hours of worship in front of this cross. There's been many tears shed in front of this cross. And I would say, in front of this picture over here, which is one of... um, Brenton Hills pictures called This is Love. Incredible. I love this picture. It hangs over my desk at home. Um, Many tears have been shed. But if you look at these pieces of wood, if you come and look more closely, you'll see there's actually nail holes, small nail holes up and down and across the crossbar. Where in the past people have come and they've nailed things like sins that they wanted to confess to the Lord here on pieces of paper and received his forgiveness or they've, they've nailed some commitment that they wanted to make on a piece of paper and nailed it here things we've done in services here before there are two large holes here and one at the foot which on some occasions have had very large nails actually placed in those and when you see those nails it's really confronting to think they actually went through Jesus hands and his feet it's a little bit denuded of that when you see it this way. One Easter, Matt Phillips actually stood here with his, in front of this with his arms out like this, tied to the, to the crossbars for the entire service. And you might think your arms tied would actually make it easy, but he was actually dripping in sweat um, by the time he finished. He actually was very physically draining, just standing and being like this, let alone being nailed to a cross. There have been times when this cross has been draped with flowers. There's been times when it's been draped with red cloth signifying Jesus' blood. There's been times when it's been draped with purple uh, purple cloth signifying his kingship. More recently, there's been an eternity sign on here. There's lots of stories and there's lots of memories in these pieces of wood in front of us. But for all that, It actually wouldn't bother me if we took this and burnt it tomorrow. What would bother me is if the cross remained over there, on the side, out of the way, in our worship. Not this one, not the wooden one I'm talking about now. I'm talking about the real cross, the cross of Jesus. The one that he died on 2,000 years ago. The cross of our Saviour, Jesus Christ, creator of the world, king forever Jesus didn't expect that real cross to be easy he didn't expect it to be easy for himself in the garden of Gethsemane as we read the story he was overcome with sorrow where there's actually a saying man of sorrows overcome with what was before him the suffering that he was going to endure it wasn't just like this is an easy thing to do in fact, he said, if this cup can be taken away from me, take it away. So he knew it wasn't going to be easy for him. But he actually also knew it wasn't going to be easy for us either as followers of him. If you look back in, in earlier, and Beck read some of this before, this, here's some words that Jesus spoke. So we're going to look at Luke chapter 9, verses 21 to 25. And just to give some context to this verse, this passage we're going to look at, it's worth going back in prior to this just to understand what's happened immediately prior. And immediately prior to this, in chapter 9, Jesus has sent out his 12 disciples to go and preach the good news of the kingdom, to say the kingdom of God is near to the people in the areas around where they were. He sent the 12 out on a missionary journey to preach the gospel. And they returned with great stories of what God had done. Jesus then feeds the 5,000, a large crowd with just a small amount of food. Feeds a large crowd. Incredible miracle. Peter, on the back of those things, the great missionary journey and Jesus feeding the 5,000, makes his great declaration that Jesus, he sees that Jesus is the Messiah, the chosen one, the Son of God. So they're all riding on this great high. And with that as backdrop, Jesus predicts his death. He says, okay, we've seen all this, I'm going to die. Talk about a bit of a dampener. So picking it up at verse 21, Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this about his death at this point to anyone. And he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed. And on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, all his disciples that is, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? And just in case we didn't get the message, a little later in Luke chapter 14, verse 27, he actually repeats the dose. It's a booster shot. We should be familiar with booster shots in this environment. This time, instead of just being with his disciples, Jesus actually says it to a large crowd. So this is just not the inner sanctum now. Jesus is talking to people who are both his followers, but people who are still making up their mind. And he says, And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciples. So even to those people who hadn't yet made up their mind, Jesus was saying, it's not an easy path we're going to walk here. From what we see in the Gospels, from these two cases and what we read elsewhere, it's pretty easy to see that this might be something, this is not perhaps the only two times Jesus said this. He may have said it other times as well. These are the times it's recorded. But certainly it wasn't a once-off thing. Certainly it's not a once-off thing. He didn't beat around the bush. And he didn't promise his followers a rose garden. He didn't say it's going to be easy. In fact, he actually said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Now, I don't think the term deny themselves requires much explanation. I think we all know what that looks like, feels like, self-denial. But taking up a cross, perhaps it's worth thinking about that for a minute. Taking up the cross does two things when Jesus said it here. One is provide emphasis to what he said earlier. There's self-denial and then there's taking up a cross. Now, to a first century person, they understood pretty well what a cross was. It was a means for a torturous execution done by the Roman people in that area at that time. So... What carrying the cross means in this context is there's self-denial, but carrying your cross brings a real focus point to this. It actually says what the consequence of that self-denial might mean. That self-denial is not just something that's about me, but there's actually something that might be more, um, more consequential as part of that. It's worth noting that when Jesus spoke these words in Luke chapter 9, that the cross was still before him. It was still before him. So he was saying things, as we often do, preaching to himself as well as to those around, that daily he was headed towards the cross. His disciples really didn't understand, and it's one of the reasons he told them not to tell anyone at that point. They just didn't get it, quite frankly. As you read through the Gospels, they didn't get it when Jesus said, I'm going to die and be raised again. And yet he continued to speak this message to them and to the crowds. It's not a popular, easy listening message. Yet Jesus repeats it. It's a bit of a double whammy in many respects. There's one thing to deny yourself. It's another thing to carry your cross. Which in those days, sometimes, that, once again, the first century people would have known that criminals were actually taken, forced to carry their cross to the place of their execution as an extra humiliation. And Jesus did that. But for us now, well, that line of thinking still applies... We have the wonderful benefit of hindsight. We can look back to the cross and see and know the hope and salvation that's there. The benefit of self-denial. It's not just a question, it's not a why, but we'll talk a little bit more about that later. I mentioned we're about to go into a series, a second phase of our series on 1 Corinthians. And that series is entitled Hard Truths for Christians. In many respects, it talks about some of the crosses that we need to pick up, some of the difficulties or, in some cases, self-denials that we might need to be followers of Jesus and how that might apply to us in that context. But I did mention that Jesus spoke this message to to close followers and to crowds. So firstly, I want to speak to those people who might be in the crowd, still making up their mind about Jesus. If you're in that place... For many people, it's actually something can't be bothered thinking about. It's too hard. I'd just rather think about other things. Some people find it irrelevant. Does it seem irrelevant? I have to say that it's not, even in today's world. Jesus really is the turning point of history. Few people would deny that Jesus existed. And the historical record is very strong around him being crucified on a cross. Our calendar that we use every day of the week is based on the life and times of Jesus and when he was around. 2,020 years ago-ish. But that's the cornerstone of that. Many civilizations throughout history and to this day are based on the Christian message, including ours. Our foundations of this nation were built on Christian theology. So it's still relevant to us, still there, even if we continue to move ever further away from it as a nation. It is the foundation. So Jesus' existence and his claims about himself as being the Son of God and, yes, indeed, the Saviour, are worth considering at least. But for many, perhaps most of us here, we are or claim to be followers of Jesus. And to you, the question today is where does the cross fit in your life? Is it front and centre? Is it in the middle? Is it inconvenient at times? Or is it over there on the side, out of the way? Is the cross a... Itch to be scratched perhaps once or twice a week or every now and then? Or is it an appetite that actually needs to be satisfied? Does the cross require self-denial in your life? Jesus didn't promise us comfort apart from the Holy Spirit, but he didn't say that this life was going to be easy. In fact, the only reason you'd need a comforter was if you were going to be in discomfort. Discomfort. The only reason you need a comforter is if you are going to be in discomfort. And he said, I will send the comforter. So we know that's going to happen. Hallelujah, there's an answer in that space. But Jesus actually promised us self-denial. And Paul takes up the theme and even says this, writing to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. There's another level. So, Jesus didn't promise us physical comfort or perhaps even an easy passage at times, but he did promise us power. So, Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because there's a power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. And remember this from last week's sermon with Dave, Holy Spirit empowered, but you, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation for those who believe. Is the cross and the Holy Spirit powerful in your life? Some Christians struggle to know or feel that power of the Holy Spirit. And perhaps in those cases, a good question to ask, and if this is where you feel, and I know we all feel this at some point in time, a good question to ask is, am I doing the things on my side of this bargain? (laughs) What did Jesus say? That those people who would follow me would deny themselves and carry a cross. Are we not seeing that power because we're not submitting some things to him in that space? Or are we not putting ourselves in a space where we need God? I know for myself, the times when I've seen the power of God in my life the most is those times when I've been most needy. Sometimes it's at the times when I've taken the most risks in the space for him. Taken a risk in conversation with somebody. Sometimes it goes great, sometimes it goes terrible. But there are times when you see the power of God in those places. Sometimes when you're preparing a sermon, some things go great, some things not so well. But there are times when put yourself out there, that you see the power of God. I know for Kathy and myself, one of the times we saw the power of God was when we decided to go to the Middle East. And and we had not very much. Uh, In that time when we had the least was probably the time when we saw some of the greater acts of God in our family life. And his provision. So why should the cross impact our lives daily? I want to read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. Why should the cross impact our lives? For Christ's love compels us, because we have convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So the why here, it's actually not the death of Jesus. It's actually about love. The why we would deny ourselves, the why we would pick up a cross and carry it is about love. Verse 14 says, For Christ's love compels us. Now in the Greek. It's actually ambiguous as to which way around this could be. It could be uh, interpreted in both ways. That is, it's Christ's love for us that compels us to deny ourselves and take up our cross. But you can also see it's our love for Christ that brings us to a place of denying ourselves and carrying our cross. The Greek's ambiguous. Um, It works either way. And both of those perspectives are supported either here or elsewhere in Scripture. Both apply. Um, Most commentators lean towards that it's Christ's love that compels us and takes us to that place that we would be convinced that he died for all. But the other piece this verse actually talks about is saying whilst it talks about how we should no longer live for ourselves, it actually gives the purpose it gives a purpose that says that he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves. I surrender all. But for him who died for them and was raised again. So our lives now have a purpose. We live for him. Or in some translation, we live for his sake. So there's our purpose, there's why we would bother. It's our love for Jesus and his love for us that takes us to that point. Has this wooden cross been inconvenient in your worship experience today? I hope not. I actually hope it's been a focus point for you. Has this wooden cross today been inconvenient for your sermon experience? I hope so. I hope, if nothing else, that you remember that the cross was here today. You might forget the words that I've spoken. You might forget the great eye contact that I might normally make. And that the cross is the focus. So I hope your sermon experience has been impacted by the cross. By the way, it was very amusing. I was delighted that... After the first sermon this morning in the song, you might have noticed the cross was in the way of the words. Two people ran up to Tim and said, Tim, what's going on? (laughs) I was so happy. (laughs) He told me that afterwards. That's exactly what we were after. So that was great. I don't know about you, but I've had way too many days that weren't impacted by the cross. I've actually had way too many days that weren't impacted by the cross. And just by way of warning, um, I haven't got through this next bit without losing my composure. I'm feeling a little bit better today than the second sermon and the first. But um, I may lose it. That's okay. If it does, we'll wait. Give me a little moment, take some time, and I'll get it back and we'll kick on again. But one of the reasons for that is um, in preparing this sermon today, I've probably wet more tears of confession than any other sermon I've ever prepared. Because bringing yourself to this point and actually holding yourself up before God and saying, How am I going? can be confronting at times. And certainly, I don't want to give the perspective that this is coming from a higher ground, that there's, you know, that. There's something in that space because it doesn't. Perhaps I'm leading you places where I've gone and will need to go to again. But I do think it's helpful for us to check. For some people, it's a bit like checking your car in for a service. It's just check in and say, Am I okay? No, we just need to change the oil here. For some people, it may mean more than that. It might mean a complete overhaul that I need to actually change my life focus. So, how is the cross impacting your life? Remember, I've asked these questions of myself. How does Jesus, the cross of Jesus, impact the choices that you make? Is the cross in the middle, or is it on the side over there, out of the way? Is the cross inconvenient in your plans, in your life ambitions? Does it feature in your plans? Are your decisions, particularly the big ones in life, are they made in the light of what Jesus has done for you? Is the cross inconvenient in your food intake? I don't know, have you ever tried fasting? I know going hungry is not very convenient for me. I actually like eating. Um, but is it something you could think about giving a go? In a way, of Jesus encouraged us to pray and fast. Does the cross impact the clothes that you wear? I'm actually always in awe of the uni students that we have in our midst that um, have Jesus Week at university. And they, they wear hoodies all week and sometimes beyond that week. They wear hoodies with Jesus on the front, Jesus on the back to say that A, I'm aligned with Jesus and B, I'm ready to talk to you if you want to talk about that. I think it's awesome. That's a cross actually impacting them on a daily basis. I think it's outstanding. Same with Green Team. Does a cross impact your weekends or is church just a box that you need to tick? Something that we go to? Or do you really, you know, scratch an itch there, But or do you really come with a mind to worship and to learn and to grow? Or are you just here to wait it out because it's something we do? To endure, Does the cross impact your discretionary time, your me time? Does your cross impact that? Is there time and space in your mind and in your energy to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly? Is there time for prayer and for worship and for acts of service? Is the cross inconvenient in your career? Or is it just on the side over there, out of the way, when you're at work? Or when you plan what you're dreaming for, what you aspire to? Do the hours that you work reflect the priority of the cross? Do you leave time and energy to give great time and energy to God as well? Does the cross impact your family? And your home and your other relationships? Do your children and those around you see God at work in you at home? Do they see you showing up faithfully, talking about Jesus, encouraging faith? Does the cross impact your financial decisions? Does it impact your giving to God? To the spread of the message of Jesus, to the poor and the disadvantaged? Is it inconvenient, the cross, in your plans for a new home, a new car, a holiday? Is there space in your financial decisions for the cross? The intent here is not to motivate you by guilt or shame. But we shouldn't shy away from the fact that in the right context, these can be right motivators. We should feel guilty at times. It's a God-given thing, a conscience. God gave us a conscience to say, hey, you're going the wrong way. So let's not be ashamed or afraid of guilt. Guilt is a God-given thing to help us, show us that we're going the wrong way. And shame... Well, all I can say is I know that I'm ashamed to bring my sin to God. It never, it's never a great moment. I sense that. I feel that. I'm sure you do too. But thanks be to God, it doesn't stay there. Thanks be to God that when we come to him, there's love and comfort and forgiveness That when we repent, when we say sorry for the things we've done wrong, when we recognise our shortcomings and bring them to him, he takes that away from us and it says as far as the east is from the west, as far as it can be, it's not a thing. He takes it so far that he can present us faultless to God. That's what Jesus has done on the cross. So while we have these feelings of guilt, on the cross there's an answer While we have these feelings of shame, on the cross, there's an answer. It doesn't stay there. And so as we ask these questions of ourselves, we can take ourselves to that place where we feel guilty. Not all bad. We can feel ashamed. It's not all bad. We can hand it over to God. That's wonderful. It's a wonderful thing, the cross. It's not a chain around our neck of a bunch of rules. It actually helps us to write living. It gives us purpose. The cross is not there to beat us into submission, although submission's not a bad thing. But the cross was for the glory of God. It's not about us. It's about God, the cross. The cross is a message of hope to the world, to us and to the world, and to a world that's desperate for hope. My prayer for myself is that God would increase my appetite. I don't want to be a Christian that's just scratching an itch, that's just ticking a box. I don't think that's his highest for me. And I don't think it's his highest for us. I don't know about you, but I actually tend to enjoy satisfying appetites. Cold drink on a hot, thirsty day goes down really, really well. It feels great. We're really fortunate that we get to enjoy a big variety of foods. By the way, Adrienne James, if you ever get the chance to eat any of her food, <laughs> just a little aside, go to Alpha because she does it there. It's magnificent. Um, and, uh, but I'm sure Adrienne would say it's a gift of God that we get to enjoy these things. Not only do we get to satisfy an appetite, but we do it with pleasure. You know, God did that. God did that. He gave us the ability to enjoy satisfying appetites with pleasure. But thirst and hunger are appetites that happen naturally, and I actually think spiritual appetite happens a little differently. I think spiritual appetite um, requires a little bit more of us. I think it's actually a little bit more like physical exercise. I don't know about you, but I actually love it when I get fit enough that I actually, my body craves exercise. It can actually happen. Um, That, you know, that when I'm really fit, I actually can't wait to go and exercise. It feels great. Endorphins. Um, Don't mind them at all. But to get to that space actually takes some effort on my part. It doesn't just happen, it's not just naturally bestowed on me that I would have this appetite for exercise. To get to that point, I've got to make some good decisions. I've got to have some priority, and I've got to put in some effort to get to that point. And I think spiritually it's a little bit the same way as well. Actually, to get to that space where we crave time with God requires some good decisions around time, some right priorities, and some effort Some things aren't necessarily always easy for all of us. Prayer doesn't come easily to all of us. Bible study doesn't come easy to all of us. Service doesn't come easy to all of us. And it takes something on our side. But when you actually exercise in that space, I know there are times when I've just felt that hunger for God because I'm in that space. Do know too that that doesn't happen all the time? And that some of us do go through dry spells, and it's not always easy. And at those times, it is a bit like self-denial, pick up the cross, here we go, here we go. But it's great to get to that space where we're actually craving God. And that should be something we aspire to, and that we do the work and make those decisions. Incidentally, for me, these days, those two things, physical and spiritual, Um, Appetite actually fairly closely aligned in that some of my best times with God are when I'm out on my bike because there's time and space there. And when I'm fit, it doesn't require so much effort. So we're going to actually have some time to respond to this message today. And so in a moment, we're going to sing the last song. We're going to clear away some chairs out the front here. And I actually want to give you some time and space with the cross. And for some... It's going to be really helpful to come forward and spend some time closer to the cross or actually make that step, perhaps a self-denial step for you to say, I don't do that stuff. I don't need to go there. Well, maybe it's just God saying, maybe today. Perhaps give it a go. So we're going to clear away some of these chairs. There's a cross here, there's a cross over there, which I think would be great for you to spend time at. We want to give you some time and space. We're actually going to have a few minutes after the last song so that people have some time Uh, not only just thinking about what's on there, but just time with Jesus and the cross and themselves. So there'll be some music afterwards. But if you want to come forward and spend some time at the cross, there's going to be that opportunity. If the cross needs to be a little bit more inconvenient in your life, if it started to slide sideways and a little bit out of the way, there's time and space here today to come and get that right with God. If you want to come and lay some of your failures at the cross, some of those things where, perhaps areas in your life where the cross hasn't been front and centre, there's an opportunity here. The Christian term for that is confession. We don't use that term very much in Baptist circles. We don't go there all that often. But with confession, remember, comes the forgiveness of sin. There's God-forgiveness and there's time and space here today for both confession and forgiveness. If there's an area of your life that you'd like to submit afresh to God, to the cross, there's time and space here. Or if you're seeking a life that has an appetite for the cross rather than just an itch, there's time and space here too. We're going to have people out the front here who are willing to pray with you if you need that, Um, if you come forward. If you just want to either make eye contact with myself or Cherie, who's on prayer, or Judy, who's on prayer, um, or Claire, one of the elders, just come to one of us. Either come alongside us, catch our eye. Um, But we'll only do that to people who approach us. There's time and space here just to have time in front of the cross, in front of the cross, uh, by yourselves. But if you want prayer, please come to one of us and we will pray for you. So I'm going to ask the band to come back up. And as they do, we'll allow some time for people to be with the cross, our loving Father, our Saviour and the empowering Holy Spirit. And let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you face the cross, and that even though it was tough for you, you went through with it, and that we have this great hindsight opportunity to see the wonder of what you've done, and to receive your love and your comfort and your forgiveness. We pray as we come to you and use this time with the cross that you'll speak to us too. In Jesus' name, amen.